Welcome back, everybody, to the Spicy PL Podcast. This is episode nine. Here with Big Babble, Big Peachy Boy, and Big Joe Cap. This week, we're going to have a guest. We'll be introducing him later. It's our first guest of the podcast ever. We're pretty excited about it. Uh, he's been very instrumental to the USAPL from the beginning, but he might be a little bit lesser known if you're new. So that should be really good. We're going to leave you guys in suspense until he logs in. We've got our Google meeting open live, so he might just hop in in the middle We're going to reveal the underbelly of USA Powerlifting. We're going deep into the underbelly. We're going to raise some bellies. That's what we do. We really do the deep dive reporting on this podcast. We do the hard work. Yeah, that's, that's where the real spicy stuff is. Mm-hmm. You can't get that anywhere else, you know? Yep. We're also going to have some Q&A. We got some, some decent questions, and, and we got some answers from you all. Uh, that's new to this podcast. And then uh, I think basically that's going to that's gonna be the podcast. We're going to talk to our guest and have some Q&A. And for now, let's just have a couple updates on the current events. Yeah, so one errors and omissions. Uh, we said last week that Anno Tertanian, the mega racist from Finland, <laughs> We said he pulled 900, and uh, someone pointed out to us that that's, that's just not true. He pulled 893, so he's a racist, and he sucks at deadlifting. So he didn't even pull nine. Yeah, so, you can't round up on yeah, 100, he's, so he pulls eight. He's canceled. Yeah, 800-pound right. deadlifter. 800-pound deadlifter. He's canceled. I'm an 800-pound deadlifter, you know? Yeah. Um, same thing. Same thing. Um, yeah, yeah, and then the current events. So we, we talked a lot about pretty much three big points last week or or companies that were having some issues with, uh, you know, getting their shit together with the current situation in America with social injustice. And we kind of just wanted to give an update. So we saw that um, SBD decided to do a promotion where they replace anybody's socks or singlet who purchased from Metal Gear, socks, Metal Socks or Singlet. Uh, within the last 12 months with a proof of purchase and they would replace those for free. So, Yeah, saw that being shared a lot. That's a pretty generous offer to them. I mean, they're they're literally giving stuff away. It's it's very nice of them. But it seems like a very smart marketing move too. I I mean, there's a lot of shares. It's all over the place. It's good, you know, good PR for sure. I think it's 100% a marketing move. Um, At the end of the day, in the last 12 months, how many people have bought metal socks and singlet? You know, metal was really known for their lifting equipment, like wraps, suits, things like that. People love the shoes. Um, so it's the cheap stuff. And uh, I think there's not a lot of volume that's going to be replaced. So I think overall with SPD, as we mentioned, being late to the party on even making a statement on, uh, you know, their stance on, you know, equality for people of color. Um, I think it, you know, it's just really a great marketing move, and that's really all I have to say about it because I don't think they're going to end up replacing a lot of things at the end of the day, replacing yeah. a lot of units, and uh, it's probably more just positivity on social media than anything, but also it's kind of like a, a makeup or save-your-face move for kind of being late to the party and some of their athletes or supporters being really upset publicly. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not as much of a fan as it as everybody else is because everybody just kind of jumps on whatever bandwagon is going but we think more critically here not to mention like you know if there was you know any doubt that sbd is one of the biggest uh, companies for producing singlets knee sleeves and belts now they're gonna basically take over the space that was metal Mm -hmm. so i mean it's a great uh great way to just keep you know yeah uh, adding to their exposure yeah Yeah. i i applaud the intelligent move but i i guess i don't give it as many kudos as you would think because i think it's kind of you know a little more self-serving than yes 100 percent. yeah (laughs) yeah at the same time it's free like people aren't literally aren't allowed to wear that stuff so it's nice that they can get something for free so um there's that but i think in raw they they own the whole game if you go to a a local meet it's just all SBD stuff anyway but where people might have metal singlets is probably an equipped and you don't see as much SBD stuff there some some equipped guys have some SBD sleeves and stuff that they train they do yeah. the raw training with but if they're only singlets a metal singlet and now they get a free SBD singlet to wear you know maybe that helps them break into the raw scene a little bit and have their name out there a bit I mean they're already sponsoring like all these big events anyway but it might get them a little bit more so yeah smart move 
And then um, we saw the USPA finally uh, made a statement. So good for them for making a statement that's yeah. pretty much. Um, they only needed over a thousand people to sign a petition before they put it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have. I read yeah. it, but it didn't say much. It's not a surprise, you know, basically. Yeah. They, they put out a cookie cutter statement and I guess everybody's happy now. I don't know. Yeah. It's weak. People are just, they complain, complain. They get the statements and yeah. nothing happens. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you lift in the USPA, you can decide for yourself if you're happy with how they handled it and if you want to keep lifting there. And that's kind of it, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you want to lift with decent rules and you don't want to piss into a cup, you're going to have to lift the USPA. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess to go into current events a little bit outside of the um, whole Black Lives Matter movement, um, we had some world records set. <laughs> world record. This so. goes back to like episode one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. We were talking about how you know we disagree with Thor being able to set a world record in his gym, and what's going to happen now is everybody going to be setting world records in their home gyms, and yeah, that's happening now. So there's world records left and right in not in competition, uh, virtually, with freaking who knows what equipment. Yeah, so it's in like, Strongman, there's been, you know, and actually in yesterday's event, if anybody watched it, um, there was a American record log attempt by Rob, Rob Kearney, Kearney World Strongest Gay. Gay. I mean, you have to know, his, that's his, his tagline. Um, but they did like a quick recap as part of the show, like of all these world records that have been set in uh, during the pandemic. And there were a lot that I didn't realize were going on. So not only was there stores deadlift, but then Novikov set a overhead dumbbell, a giant dumbbell world record. Luke Stoltman did a stone. The other Stoltman brother tried the overhead press, log press world record and missed it. Um, there was a female stone record set. Um, and then Rob Kearney yesterday. And one of the first things we noticed was that they ran out of calibrated weights at whatever <laughs> gym he was doing it at. So they just had some like, like uh, six shooter Ivanko gym plates with the holes in it. And they threw those on the end. And then they ended up weighing the entire thing instead of weighing it plate by plate. Is that right, Pavel? I don't know. I saw a scale. We didn't watch the whole thing, but we're, we saw like duct tape around the sides of the plates. <laughs> yeah. The they were like color coded duct tape plates, which, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I was only paying half attention, but the only mention of the scale was when it was like zeroed out. Like I saw the scale and it was like zero point zero zero. We were playing cards yeah. while we were trying to watch this thing, but yeah. So it's just kind of like it's kind of making a joke of the world records, in my opinion. There's no, it's not in competition. Like we said, it, it's really important to have an order, to have a clock, to have maybe other events that you have to plan your records around. Um, so it's kind of like. It's kind of like a joke to us because that's why we have our world record board in our gym. We call them world records, but they're just PRs. Or well, gym let's records. just say we have enough calibrated plates we and we're nobody. We're not the world's strongest gay or one of the world's strongest men. So like, I don't understand how they couldn't get more calibrated yeah. plates in our federation, the big titty federation. We have our own world records. <laughs> and we set them all the time in their legitimate calibrated plates, judges, judges. I mean, anyway, Rob Kearney, he smoked it. It looked clean. They had Zadruna Savickas as a referee, like remote on video, which was like pretty sick. But like the down command was like delayed. So Kearney really had to like hold it over his head, which is badass. I mean, he, he did it super clean. That yeah, was a nice lift. I end up, I don't really care if the plates were calibrated or not. Maybe they, they put on those 25s. Maybe they counted them as 10 kilos and just said, fucking lift it. Um, I don't know. But uh, it's just crazy. Just crazy. There's a lot of shit going on. One thing that I think is kind of interesting about people being able to set the world records in their home gym is how hard is it going to be now to break that record? You know, because you have <laughs> to do it in a competition, you know, and there's all the different things that go along with that, and you're going to have to do other events. Like, you know, they're breaking these world records in their home gym doing one fucking lift. So you think these are going to be long-standing world records? Well, let's just say if the, if the average shelf life of a world record is like three years, it might be like five years. All right, I can get down with that. Yeah, I can get down with that. And and the, I mean, they got to clean up their production. There was a point where we were like, watching it, and it was just like the camera was set down somewhere, and it was just Rob Kearney's dick was in the frame, <laughs> and like he was wearing these yeah. rainbow tights, which he does his thing. 
and uh they had an overlay of like a like a scoreboard or something but they had the, sh the camera shot in the background and it was just a zoom in of his crotch so you got to see, yeah you <laughs> just ESPN got to see slacking. you know we have a pretty big tv so you know because rob Gearney's dick was looking pretty fucking thick on camera and uh you know so that's what you got you got an american log lift world record then you got rob Kearney's dick and then it was over yeah, if I set an, <laughs> an American record, I'd be pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to introduce our first guest to the Spicy PL podcast ever. He's going to reveal the dark underbellies of the USAPL <laughs> and give a lot of insight into the history of the USAPL, specifically in the Northeast where he's ran hundred, countless, countless meets. Um, he's also got a lot of insight into the IPF. He's an IPF judge. He's been around the the game for a long time um listen you know this is this is a guy who got me involved in powerlifting period and then so most of the people i got involved in powerlifting you know it's because of mike zawalinski who is the guest but uh you know we're trying to do something different mike you have a doorbell uh, we got people coming into the gym <laughs> <laughs> right, that's fine anyway um you know, Mike uh, has been around the game for a long time. Uh, we're trying to do something different, not just invite the best lifters in the world here to talk about the nutrition and training. We're trying to talk about the spicy parts of powerlifting. We're doing our deep dive reporting. So, you know, Mike was an obvious choice for our first guest. So we got some questions for Mike. So uh, we'll get it started. What's so, up, guys? What's up, Mike? Why don't you just tell us like a little bit about, you know, how you got involved in the sport and uh, how New, New England powerlifting grew, you know, back, what, 13 years ago now when we met? Um, well, I originally got involved and I've been trying to figure it out. It's either 1995 or 1996 when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and uh, I was at Zerian Brothers High School and I had Coach Al. Panaro, as you got, uh, no, you know, Joe, um, yep. he got me to powerlifting, um, competed three years, uh, four years, I competed in 1999. I know it's the last one I did early on, um, but did the high school, competed in the high school meets and did like, uh, the New England bench press and Massachusetts state powerlifting championships in 1999. Um, heck, I can remember going out of Connecticut when I was a junior um, uh, on a Sunday um, with a bunch of people from um, Zavarian and we got pulled over <laughs> driving, <laughs> down, not, driving down 95 on uh, somewhere in Connecticut and there's a speed trap going on and we get pulled over and the cop, you know, goes to the side and sees Coach Gennaro and goes, what is this, a wrestling team or something? <laughs> Bunch of big guys. And, yeah, a bunch of big guys. And they're like, no, we're going to do a powerlifting championship. Um, well, something I'll never forget, very young. And then, uh, I mean, I laid low for a while after that. And um, really have to blame uh, you, Joe, and uh, Eli and the rest of the team, but early on for kind of dragging me back into it. Um, and, uh, and as I've grown, you've grown, you know, I know some people out there uh, say, like, you know, I brought you in. Uh, that's all I did. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I introduced you to the sport, and I learned and as you learned, and we kind of learned together, and it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, um, I mean, I always talk about those times because, like, people asked if you coached me, and I was like, no, we – we coached each other because we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. So we just bombed out every meet. But, um, you know, like I remember the meets we were doing back in 2008. And, you know, they were like we were either running them on paper or like, you know, pretty one platform meets, you know, meets that went from seven in the morning to midnight. And then you kind of took the reins and started running meets in the northeast. And then that kind of transferred into you running meets all over the country and the world. So, like, how do you think? you've affected the the way meets are run production wise or if you did it all or you just were kind of like part of the growth i think it's just part of the growth um you know I, I took over the first meet that i ran was in 2009 i think it was 
about three days after my daughter was born. Um, and uh, um, I was asked to do it because uh, the state chair back at this time, uh, Greg Costas, was had stage four lung cancer and he was, you know, on his way out the door. Um, so I was asked uh, by Eric Cordero, the, now the Massachusetts State uh, um, uh, State Chair, and uh, if I could do it, because you know we had the team at Northeastern, and and we had resources to get it done, and um, started running meets, and early on it was <laughs> we we were just figuring that out. We were up all night trying to get things set up for a thirty lifter meet. Um, I remember dragging Lou to a stop and shop and somewhere in Boston trying to <laughs> try to find the cash box and other miscellaneous stuff we needed um, at probably like 3 a.m. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I think the big meet that I went to, and I know you were there, it was um, a, a well-run meet was, was Steve Mann's meet down in uh, Scranton. Um, yeah. And, and um, you know. The most hated had, man. He, yeah he's famous steve, on this podcast steve is a good man man I, i've heard about <laughs> him uh, um you know and, and that's the first time i saw computers at a meet uh first time you know uh, modern you know screens all over the place where you could see where you you were um mm-hmm. previous to, to that every other meets in uh i've been to up in new england were all done on paper and if you want to see where you stood you kind of had a Go over, look over the scorer's shoulder, and yeah, do look some at the lifting math. order. Yeah. So what you guys are saying uh, is that even back then, Steve Mann was running quality meets. Yes. So Steve Mann. Yeah. So all those listeners who think Steve Mann is such a bad man, think about what a good man he is. He inspired Mike to run higher quality meets, and you know we've run some really big meets up in the Northeast now. Um. So yeah, Mike, I, I think you're not giving yourself as much credit. I know, um, you know, because of the productions you run, USAPL and IPF both employ you to make sure their meets run smoothly, um, that the technology is always, you know, cutting edge and everything's working, audio visuals, scoring, um, all that stuff. So, I mean, I don't think you're giving yourself as much credit, but um, I think uh, it's useful for our younger listeners that maybe weren't around in 2007 and 2008 to see meets run on paper. So, yeah, those, those, those drag, dragged on. Yeah. I mean, what did you like better? Cause now I feel like sometimes you're, you're up all night in the uh, meet venue trying to mess around wow. with computers. I see you up uh, through the hours of the night at these big meets. You know, uh, like say for raw nationals last year, for example, I mean, I think I was up three days straight getting that thing ready to roll. Um, I think, you know, I had uh, Jan Dorio helping me out uh, on the tech side and the scoring side. Um, I think we finally got everything finished 5 a.m. before uh, the start of lifting. Uh, I remember going back up to the room, take a shower, and uh, go back, keep going back down to start doing data entry. And, uh, uh, I think it was right about then, you know, it's a little side story. It was right about then that uh, uh, Joe Arpea, the technical chairman, uh, informed me that uh, I was going to have to take the national referee test if I wanted to take my Category 1 referee test. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, 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 heard, I heard rumors about this, um, and uh, I was like, okay, Joe, screw you. I want to do it right now. You know, this is on... <laughs> three days of no sleep i've probably had about 30 30 monsters at that point and um low on the low end of the estimation 30. (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and i i ended up taking right after session two started uh, at the jury table next to him on his computer with not no study no time to prepare uh no sleep and i think i got two questions wrong um See, they changed the whole model. They wanted to make sure that, you know, when they put a referee up to take a cat two or a cat one, that they know the rules. Um, and people up to the schedule, I know some people took at the Arnold. My goal was to take that at the Arnold uh, this year, which I did. Uh, and I have screenshots that I have a cat one referee. <laughs> um, I know some people who broke world records 
that bad meat didn't get credit for it. So, um, so wait, we're, take it again. what's we're, your opinion on that? I mean, why, why do you think, why do you think that happened? What, like why, uh, why did the IPF cancel those world records? You know, I don't really know. Um, other than there's some, they have some sort of grudge against us. Uh, they don't like how we run meats. They don't like the high production value of meats. Uh, that we put in. They don't like the jumbo screens. <laughs> I, I mean, I've heard Larry. Uh, they don't like spending yeah, money because they don't want to spend yeah. their money, probably. Yeah, I mean, Larry Merrily, president of USA Powerlifting. You know, I've heard him say, you know, talk fondly about meats where it was like a rock concert with the powerlifting going on, um, and I think that's exciting. You know, the high production value, having the big screens, the loud music. Um, I think it's worth watching. Um, yeah, it's exciting. You know, when, yeah, it, you go to I, IPF meet, even you know, even IPF Open Worlds. You know, it's exciting because of the lifters on the platform, but you could hear crickets. Yeah, it's a snoozer. It's um, it's it's more like uh, it's almost like sanitary, sanitized. Yeah, yeah. you know. Well, they, yeah, so what's I mean, the deal with the uh, genome, Mike? You know, the, I think the IPF kind of uh, cited that as maybe a reason why they didn't want to. Yeah, why don't they like genome the records? Yeah. You know, I, I think that's, you know, I, I have no real deep insight other than close observations. But, uh, you know, Gaston and Gino did not get along. Um, uh, well, I, Mike, I think it's, Mike, is it fair to say yeah. that Gino was like, you know, at first he was commenting, they were flying him around and he was commenting at all the meets or live commentating. And, uh, you know, and at some point there was some type of falling out. So it's not just like, Oh, they saw Gino and the way we run our meets, they don't like it. So they didn't, they don't want Gino. Gino was the guy and now he's not the guy. Yeah. I, all right. So Gino, Gino's a good friend of mine. Um, you know, I love him for well, what he's good for, and I love him for his faults. Uh, you know, when you try to run a good production, it, you know, it's sometimes hard to rate him in to say, hey, we need you to stand in this area, um, or hey, don't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you have, you have to balance that, with, that with, balance that with how much value and entertainment he brings to the, to the meet. Um, sure. You know, uh, and I, I think from that aspect, that was one angle that the IPF said, we, you know, you can't stay, you know, in Belarus and at Raw Worlds, Gaston was yelling at them to stay in your, you know, monkey in the box, stay in your box and try to keep them <laughs> over by the scoring table. Um, you know, and, and you know, that, that's, you know, he's exciting. You know, he's a very valuable asset to the sport. Yeah, I, I remember at first it was like they didn't want him to wear the the outfit, right? So then he got like the blue jacket and tie and everything and cleaned up his like look and then that still kind of wasn't enough because he he just the his style of commentating is 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 exciting and they wanted it to be more like good lift, no lift, you know. So Yeah. Yeah, at first it was the outfit for sure though. Yeah, you can't put a tiger in the cage yeah. and expect it to be <laughs> yeah. exciting. Yeah, so what if you need to do a little to get through like a double session like <laughs> I, what's the big deal hey i mean that, that guy he works his butt off I've, I've talked to him at least once a week um for the past i don't know how many years um you know he's trying to get back to a meet he's going through the usa powerful calendar right now and going hey do you think so-and-so is gonna run this meet i'm like i don't know yeah. <laughs> um he 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 loves the sport he loves being with people he loves uh making people feel good and you know it, it's not that library professional model that the ips looking to um that's i think the real root of the problem yeah it's like are we you know it's like gino's like x games and like ipf is like trying to be olympic games and they just have to make a decision because you know but um i mean while we're on the topic of illegitimate meets and world records. I wanted to ask you, you know, cause you train our good friend, Kelsey McCarthy, um, you coach her and you know, we'll, we'll probably have Kelsey on at some point and talk about her training more. But really my question is just cause it's spicy. What do you think about 
the the current world record for the 72 weight class that was set by Anna Castellan at like a local meet in Brazil. Yeah, she did that at uh, the, the uh, Pan American slash uh, South American Regional Championship. Uh, yeah, she took advantage of of shipping uh, regional records to get the shipped total on the um, total record. You know, good for her. That's part of the game. You know, I think Kelsey had the chance to counter that in Dubai and, um, you know, had a few misfires. And, you know, she went into the meet, I think, a little overtrained and um, it just didn't come, come, come to, you know, I think. Mike, you overtrained her, Mike? um, Kelsey is a hard worker. Sometimes I've had to tell the gym to not let her into the gym. Yeah. Um, um, and I think, you know, with her stress of the job and stuff as a physical therapist and, you know, you know, one of her last heavy squats, uh, just didn't look right. And I was like, Hey, Kelsey, what's your rest heart, resting heart rate been? She got the Apple watch. So she could go back and look and the previous three months, it was slowly rising. I'm like, that's not good. Yeah. It's just stress <laughs> levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The, I mean, I mean, it's just funny the juxtaposition to me. Like, you can't set world records at the Arnold, but you can at some Pan American meet in Brazil. So I was pretty ups- I was pretty upset when I saw that, and I know Kelsey's gonna yeah. hit that total. But then again, it leads to the next question, which maybe she won't, because you know we heard a rumor from some sources about weight classes being changed for women and I, I think a lot of people are already talking about it and i've heard about this for years now and i think they're finally going to do it but um yeah. you know obviously when weight classes get reset world records get reset to world standard or something or reorganized so um what do you think about you know w- we talked about potential weight classes that were going to come out and maybe as soon as next year like what do you what do you, what have you heard with your Years to the pavement. My years to the pavement. I've heard, you know, a slight modification of getting rid of the seventy twos and adding a sixty nine and a seventy six kilo weight class. Um, you know, going into effect next year. Um, you know, that hasn't been announced, so things can change um, until it is announced. Um, but if that is the plan, um, I think Kelsey is a perfect fit for the 69 kilo weight class and you have worlds happens this year um, or North Americans even, um, which if we could set world records at, I, I think it would be wise to try to at least clear, you know, have her go for that record. Um, she's got the squat record. Um, I think her bench has come a long ways in the past six months or so. Um, or I think she can go for that bench world record and and reclaim the total world record. Um, yep. But you know, you gotta wait for the dude on the platform. That's when it counts. Yeah, I'd like to see her get the seventy two, and then also next year, then get the sixty nine. Yeah. So you're saying yeah. the earliest we could see these weight classes um, is January one, twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think at the IPF level, there 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 is some talks. If it is announced. Um, early enough to maybe do it at some of our national meets um, this year, but we'll see. I mean, when the last time IPF changed weight classes, it took us what a year or two to actually change with them. Yeah. So I remember um, that in 2012. So yeah, who knows where? Who knows what will happen? Yeah, you know, the first thing that's going to happen is going to come out. It's going to be public. Yeah. So I mean, you're talking about meets happening, meets might not happening. Um, you know, one of the things we wanted to ask you was, um, you know, why you think that the USAPL decided to say, we're not sending teams to bench worlds. We're not sending teams to classic worlds, but USAPL didn't say we're not sending a team to open world. So all of us are geared, geared lifters. We're still like, you know, maybe there's a shot that's happening. You know, you've been listening to the pod. We've been talking to people from Norway who say the meet's happening. It's going to be awesome. So, what are your thoughts on why there's a difference between USAPL cutting us off to go to classic worlds and not cutting us off to go to um, open worlds, which, I mean, I know the obvious answer is the dates, but maybe there are some other things. 
Yeah, I think obviously that those, those meats are coming up quicker. Um, it, the other meat that they're not sending people to is Masters Worlds in in November um, uh, down in South Africa. Um, but part of it, I think, is the health and safety of the lifters, uh, Belarus and Russia. Um, from all accounts, don't really have a good grasp on what's going on with the with the current virus, and um, you know, so the organization is nominating. You know, these lifters are representing their their organization. If somebody went there and got sick, um, there is potentially some liability of USA Powerlifting, and I don't think they want another lawsuit on their hands. Um, you know as remote as that might be, you know, that's, I think that's one piece of the equation. And I think the other piece of the equation is, um, giving kind of the F you to the IPF, um, you know, for not accepting the world records at the Arnold. Um, they meet every, you know, at the Arnold and met every qualification. They had the appropriate judges there. They, it, it was on the website. It was listed, um, at some point, I remember seeing on the IPF calendar, you know, and the executive committee of the IPF decided to say, sorry, doesn't count. So I think this is USA perhaps and saying, hey, uh, we'll hit you where it hurts. You're not getting our money. You know, we're, it, all these meets, we're the biggest team there. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and not to mention just like our numbers, but like our our women and men win every weight class. So... I think, and they're also the most popular lifters in the sport. So their streams are going to be down. Their viewership's going to be down. Just the yeah, the prestige of the meet. People who are going to be winning worlds. People will question, did you really win worlds? You know, because so and so wasn't yeah. there. So I think, yeah, I think you might be right about that. But what about the? I mean, that's really rough on the lifters, though, right? Yeah, it sucks for the lifters. Yeah, it sucks for the lifters. I mean, we hey, look, uh, was it two years ago? We didn't send a team to Mexico City for NAPFs. Um, I went as a essentially an employee of the NAPF. There was four Americans that went. Myself, Gino, one, um, Rob Keller, who is the general secretary of the NAPF or championship secretary, um, and Erin Tamisi, um, and uh, my girlfriend Juanita Nahara went there. She went to assist with the live stream. Um, you know, she's bilingual and. Um, spoke Spanish and English on the live stream. And she, she, uh, I don't know, strongly disagreed with that because she wanted to, the Delacroix record in, you know, the country where, you know, her parents are from, you know, she's a first generation American and she was hoping to, you know, break the world record, you know, in, you know, her parents' home country. And, and you know, we said no. And, and she, she let Larry have it at uh, at NGB, and yeah. um, if, if anybody was there, it was Larry had to put his foot down, and I had to like kind of grab her and take shit up. So is there, <sighs> is there any way for lifters to bypass the USAPL to go to Worlds? Is it, is it possible for a lifter to have some sort of? Yeah. What about lifting for the Virgin Islands or unattached? Yeah. You know, that's that's always a possibility. Uh, lifting for another country, especially if you have a passport. Um, but I can tell you right now, um, the stance pretty much has always been from USA Powerlifting that if you leave, you're not welcome back. Because um, I remember when early on uh, with you, Joe, like I remember asking like Rob Keller, like, hey, can Joe lift for Puerto Rico? <laughs> No, uh, I remember thinking, and he's like, "Yeah, and then, you know, by the rules, you could do that." Um, so back in back in twenty, about, yeah, back in twenty twelve, the world team selection used to be that like win or you're in at the equipped level. So even you know, twenty twelve nationals, I had the second best, you know, Wilkes of the meet. I didn't get on the world team, and that was a World Games qualifier for qualifier for twenty thirteen World Games in Cali which I didn't end up getting to go to. And I thought maybe I was worthy of qualifying for, obviously I wasn't good enough to, to place well, but back, I was a young lifter, but I still wanted to go. So I did entertain very shortly lifting for Italy. I could easily get an Italian passport. Um, 
But, uh, you know, I decided against that because we had this conversation and I said, you know, I am an American and I have so many years left and I want to live for the U.S. But basically in the future. But basically I was told if you leave, you leave forever. And I just didn't think that was a good option. And Mm -hmm. I think it worked out. I lifted for the U.S. team like nine times now. But yeah, I'm just curious if we're going to see any of these raw lifters like at at Worlds through some other means. So is there an unaffiliated option? I know that there's been some lifters who lifted for different countries. I thought the Russians like that, could but... lift unaffiliated or something. Have you heard anything about that? Well, if you look at the recent WADA rulings, you know, Russia's not allowed to even, you know, send a team or host a championship, which I find very ironic that we moved bench worlds to Russia. Yeah, um, so we're not following suit with that. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of issues with the IPF right now following their own words you know we're a lot of, they're saying we're a lot of sanitary and we're not following water's recommendations um i mean i'm not pointing anything out that isn't obvious i'm not saying any secrets it's look at the news and look at look at our calendar um um but um well, well, Mike, well, let's let's refocus on the safety issue. Yeah. So the safety issue yeah. in Mexico City, we won't get into those reasons, but not only is you know COVID nineteen a safety issue, and you know we could say whatever we want about Belarus and Russia. I think probably no one's handling it worse than the U.S. Um, so I'd be surprised yeah. if a lot of these countries were going to let us in to do athletic competitions. But I think there's other safety concerns in Belarus based on the last time Raw Worlds was there, and you were there. So I don't think I was, a lot of people, I, I don't think a lot of people know this story. So, you know, there was a, a relative of a lifter. Um, somebody's nephew came to watch their, um, yep. their family member lift and, and, and she was a master's lifter and, uh, yep. from, from New Hampshire, from New Hampshire says, um, yep. and that gentleman decided to go out to one of the local casinos and, um, you know, maybe Mike, you know more, but from what I know, we don't know if he won big or lost big, but he ended up getting thrown out of a window. <laughs> so, um, I think there's issues there that maybe we don't want to send, you know, cause when you send a team of 15 lifters, you're sending hundreds of people that are associated, you know, between yeah. family and coaches and everything. So, yeah, I, I've been to Belarus twice. I think it's a beautiful country. Um, but, uh, it's, a lot of it's run by the, the Russian mafia. Um, you know, from what I know, that gentleman, you know, like you said, went to the casino. I don't know if he was up big or down big or or whatever, but, you know, he fell out of his 17-story window. Um, and the window was locked when they went up to his room. And it, you know, I don't know how you fall out a window and, and then lock, lock it. it behind you. <laughs> Well, as, as somebody who has been to a casino or two in their day, a lot of the time these windows are actually uh, you're not available to be opened. So you can't even open the – they don't even want you to be able to open the window so that you can't jump. Um, so there's almost no way that this guy figured out how to open the window on his own and then just, like, you know, mm. fell out. Yeah, I mean, we have a unique perspective. Peach is a professional gambler, and me and Babel have a little bit of the, the sickness. So, you know, I wouldn't – I would say me and Babel have went into some casinos overseas that – weren't as safe as casinos in America, but uh, we didn't take out uh, any loans. Yeah, we've been to the biggest <laughs> yeah. casinos in the world and some of the seediest. Yeah. <laughs> so you 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 think that plays into the decision at all, Mike? Because I or or do you think that ever was addressed properly? Um, because that gentleman who passed away was military. Um, I know the State Department has taken over investigations and I haven't heard what the outcome was. Um, but as far as the organ- our organization goes, um, I think that was a, a part of the equation. Um, and I, I heard some, some rumors from some people that didn't want to go because of that before the whole COVID situation started. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so I think, you know, we, maybe we have one more big question for you, but like, you know, we talked a lot about when we first started doing meets together and then you started running meets and this was around 2008. And, you know, you talked about your experience in the 90s in high school. But, you know, back then, a point we always talked about was back then all the meets were equipped. Um, that was yeah. just how it was competed. And, you know, then, you know, the raw lifting started happening. You guys, everybody started having bigger productions. There's more money coming in. There's more lifters. Um, 
it's more easily accessible to a classic lifter. But do you think, in general, equipped lifting is ever going to make a comeback? You know, I think it's always going to be smaller than raw, um, just pure number wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, because, I mean, uh, let's face it, like, I'm trying to train now equipped. Like, I'm making my comeback. I'm 40. M1, I've been saying for years, I'm, I'll come back when I'm at M1. I'm, I'm there. So it's difficult for me to train right now because I have to make sure I have at least, you know, three or four people that can spot me. Um, you know, if I'm going to try to squat 800 pounds tomorrow, I need to make sure I have at least three good people that can pick up, you know, 300 pounds each. Um, if I was just coming back raw, look, I just need one, either a good cage or a good, uh, um, you know, it's easier. I don't have to go as heavy. Um, um, and there's a, a huge skill aspect to it. I think. The biggest reason why I like equipped is the huge skill aspect. I know you guys touched upon like how much carryover you get and stuff like that, but there, you know, you can't just put on a squat suit or a bench shirt and expect to get something. It takes years of learning how to use it. Not for um, Bavel. Bavel just gets right in there. <laughs> I put one Bavel, on the other day. <laughs> it's easy. Bavel, Bavel, we. we did we stuff Babel in some gear back in the day? In yeah, Eastern? yeah, ten years ago we did. So, so he had some experience. He like riding a, it's like riding a bike. Ten well, years later. So, so you're saying you think Raw is always going to be bigger than Equipped? Um, you think that's probably a good thing for for money and for being able to run better better meets? But do you think um, you know some of these Raw lifters are going to start wanting to go a little bit more and start? You know, maybe maybe use raw as a gateway drug to equip. Do you think equipped could kind of have a resurgence in numbers, or do you think it's just kind of always going to be on the periphery? A bunch of you know guys from bunch back of crazy in the day, guys, you know, some crazy so, bastards from back in the day that have done it and will always do it. You think we're going to start getting like have an on ramp to it? Yeah, because on the flip side, when guys like me and you and Luis and and Peach and Babel, when Kelsey, ten years from now when we're not lifting, who is going to be lifting equipped? Yeah, like do you ever wonder about that? We see a lot. Yeah, of, I mean, we see newer lifters coming into equipped into the fold. Um, like in your experience, seeing all these meets, do you see kind of the new the new crop coming? I, I see some new people coming. You know, in the past few years, I see a couple of new groups of equipped lifters. Uh, I mean, love them or hate them. That Paul Simon down in uh, Brooklyn, he's got uh, his gym down there, and he's starting to get a gathering of equipped lifters. Um, you know, uh, he's a small team. You got uh, Kevin Can's group in uh, the Boston area. He, yeah. you know, he competed equipped. He, I've actually messaged him um, recently and said, hey, once all this, you know, crap is over with COVID, let's, you know, put together a equipped only meet in the Boston area. Yeah, I think Ryan um, Gleason like, Ryan Gleason is having his lifters all getting equipment. We've given them a lot of yeah. equipment. So and I think it's on it's on the back of all the equipped lifters now to offer help. Um I remember early on um with no Northeastern team, I remember telling the whole team like, look, you guys are the stewards of the sport in New England. You know, for the sport to grow, you know, we need you know, all of us, the entire team needs to work at putting out good needs, helping people, um, help, you know, along the way. I think I'm putting the call out there for every quick lifter, invite raw lifters to come try it. You know, we all, all quick lifters have extra gear, you know, find somebody say, Hey, try this on. I've given a bench shirt to, uh, a kid that's in uh, Arizona. He's about my size. I said, he came by, uh, trains with Rodney Elm and, he came by on his way to school, and he had worked out in, in Albuquerque. I said, "Here, here's one of my old bench." He's shirts. your size, Mike. The kid squats 700 raw, so he's strong. I don't know. Maybe he needs some medical help if he's your size, though. <laughs> he, he, he's not quite my size. He's yeah. more like your size, though. Okay. Well, you so, see, so Mike, one thing that I I was kind of worried about is now that collegiates is both raw and equipped. Um, I think that a lot of the younger lifters who you know, I remember when you were kind of telling me to get in gear, you were like, you know, Peachy, 
collegiates is an equip me. And if you want to be an equip, cha- you know, if you want to be a collegiate champion, you have to lift the equipment. And I was like, all right, well, yeah. I guess that's what it is. What well, it that's is. Mike's Let's go. fault. Mike ran and, the first uh, raw collegiate. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like, you know, at URI, um, you know, I had basically the whole team in gear the first year. And then the second year it fell off the face of a cliff. We probably had like 10% of the team in gear and it wasn't due to a lack of gear. So I'm just sort of concerned about, you know, that being a major avenue of growth for equipped lifting that's now almost gone, I would say. Um, you know, I think it's always fun to think about and maybe scary for Joe, but if you take Ray Williams in his prime and just put on some knee wraps, a loose bench shirt, where would he place with you and Blaine? You know? Well, if you bomb out because you can't hit depth, where do you place? Yeah, but I mean, that could, that could go for you or Blaine as well. <laughs> yeah, it so. goes for all three of us. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's one thing to remember, hey, it's not it's not like you have to lift equipped. It's You can lift raw. Um, who's the guy over at Road Games? Uh, Rubicki, who you know, pulled that huge deadlift at Road Games. He yeah. did the squats, that was raw. Yeah, he beat you somebody. Know. We won't mention who he beat. She's a friend of ours. <laughs> but he beat an equipped lifter on points, and he lifted raw. <laughs> yeah. He, he took kind of some token raw lifts, too. <laughs> yeah. It was cool. Um, but, um, you know, look, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's out there. You know, everybody can do it. I think the biggest, biggest mistake that the IPF ever did was allow the new generation of gear but you, you can't go back now. You know, it's been, it's been around for about 10 years or 20 years. Um, Why do you say it's a mistake? Yeah. When I first started and you were in a black shirt, you were lucky to get 20 kilos out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that 20 kilo swing, somebody's decently strong rock. can still be a guy that's wearing your bench shirt. Um, and nowadays, it's a whole nother level. Yeah, they're completely different. So, so I guess Mike's contention is is that there wouldn't really be need for a raw division if the equipment didn't get too out of control. It'd be like meeting in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wish they went back to that. Like we get rid of equipment, get rid of raws we know, and say, okay, if you just went with by the specifications outlined in the IPF for equipment and how stretchy it's supposed to be, it would change the whole. It would change the sport. Um, is we'd be going back to black shirts, Z suits, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I think you know you would see an unbelievable battle between like a Blade Sumner and a Ray Williams. Yeah. For that scenario. Yeah, it's interesting. But I've thought about that. Like, if if Equip did go away, like maybe they at least let us wear knee wraps, and I'd keep competing. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't go completely raw though. I mean, we're all going to be at the point where you need knee wraps just to take a dump, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think knee wraps is probably the gateway drug for some of these raw lifters. Once they throw knee wraps on. And yeah, and like Mike was talking about, we're Bicky. It's like that's a raw shot. world champion, and he's at he's did the Arnold pro deadlift, and he did world games, and he lifted in gear for the deadlift. So, like, is there a sing, are there single lift events that are enticing to – Raw lifters that oh I'll put on a deadlift suit like you see Kim Walford wear a deadlift suit once a year at the Arnold right yeah. or people like that um, you know maybe if that happened for the squat challenge or um, a bench meet you know it, people would get enticed to do all three yeah and you see a lot of these raw lifters and their style of training getting pretty banged up and I've heard this debated a little bit about what's you know what's harder on the body you know obviously with equipment you're handling more weight. You know, there's more weight on your back. There's more weight in your hands, and you know that's gonna hurt. But do you think raw is worse for the body or equipped, long term, from what you've seen? You yeah, know, well, I think years? we forgot to mention that Mike is a longtime strength and conditioning professional. Yeah, he so coached D1 athletes for a decade. He's coached NSCA. hundreds of lifters. <laughs> we need so, to have a better. Yeah, Mike. He's in the NSCA, CSCS. Um, what are some yeah. of his best lifts? No, yeah. So, yeah, Mike. Mike's best lifts are, uh, you know, you can eight forty three squat, Mike. Eight fifty four. Eight fifty four squat and equipment. Yeah. Um, a seven sixty bench. Seven sixty up. And uh, we we don't need to talk about the deadlift. So now you can answer the question. But Mike, <laughs> Mike is uh, has the credentials to answer these types of questions for us. <laughs> 
Um, I, I think longevity, longevity it, um, is there with equipment because it's protecting the body. It's not like you're wearing it all the time. Um, I think if you're smart and periodize when you put your, your gear on and when you're overloading your body, um, and it changes up the stimulus. Uh, you know, when you're always grinding, grinding away raw, you're, you're grinding away in the same same part of your body, but if you grind away, then also you put on put on a squat suit, a bench shirt, changes the stimulus on the body, um, and I think keeps it fresh and allows you to, you know, stay healthier. Um, and I think there's some more risk with gear because you do have that heavier weight on you and um, bigger catastrophe things could happen. But to tell you the truth, I've seen more people big catastrophe things happen to raw people. You know, I was spotting a guy in a meet in Brooklyn and he tore both of his quads right in front of me. Um, Is that the gnarliest uh, thing you've seen in powerlifting? What's the gnarliest thing you've seen in powerlifting? That might be it. I saw a girl get a compound fracture on her arm um, squatting. And she, you know, fell, she stumbled with the weight and fell forward and her arm caught the rack and it just, she had two elbows. Um, raw or equi- yeah, raw or equipped. <laughs> I mean, I think she was an equipped lifter, but that, oh, that doesn't really matter. I mean, just, it wasn't because of the equipment that happened. Uh, probably the really scariest thing I've seen was last year at bench worlds, on uh, the 52s, um, uh, Sandvik, I can't remember, uh, Kenta's, Kenta's wife, snapped her forearm uh while locking out a bench Ooh, um gross and you know i was coaching more shuttleworth at the time and i just you could hear these screams of bloody murder and i said more headphones on turn around you know head, or turn around headphones on loud that's all i said <laughs> good coaching like yeah let's do some yeah. more, let's do some rapid fire let's do some rapid fire oh. questions who is okay. spicy pl memes do you know what was that? Who is Spicy PL memes? I have no idea. Oh man, that's exactly what Spicy PL memes would say if we asked them directly on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That is true, but I, I I have never looked at that account. Do we have any who's on more gas for Mike? Well, who's who's the most gassed lifter that's ever lifted in the USAPL? Oh man, um, all I know that's been don't really want to go down. Yeah, this road very much, but I know at a local meet that I ran, we had a guy fail for it's like 120 something to one TDE ratio um, from New York. So, Mike, what is the normal TDE ratio for a normal drug-free lifter? For the we test for is four to one. I know the NCAA tests six to one. Um, so yeah, a lot. 121. I actually met that guy by mistake. I was training with Sean Coleman in New York, and I met this dude, and he basically looked like a professional strongman, and I was kind of like, so what was the deal with that? He's like, oh man, Sean got me to do this meet, and like, I didn't know I was have to piss. <laughs> yeah, he was pumping grade eight. Yeah, <laughs> grade eight jet. Yeah, we won't we won't put him on blast. All right, who's the best collegiate lifter in the USAPL of all time? Um, a good question. I mean, Ian Bell's got to be uh, considered. He who he went for? Yeah, he won four. He won four. What about Preston? Did he win four? He won four. I mean, right there. I mean, those two guys, you look at them. I um, thought you were going to snap answer Kelsey McCarthy, but you didn't. No, I, I already told Kelsey Heather Crocker was way better than her. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who do, who do you think would win in a then versus now of um, Blaine versus Siders? <sighs> You know, Blaine's a great lifter. Siders is a great lifter. Um, I think Siders was just stronger. Um, so I'd have to go with Brian Siders. Damn. That's no disrespect to Blaine. Yeah, man. All right. What's your favorite lift? <laughs> My favorite lift? Uh, it, it, it varies. Sometimes it's squat, sometimes it's the bench, sometimes it's a deadlift. Get the fuck out of here. The deadlift? The deadlift, bro? Nothing sucks worse than the deadlift. You don't have to lie about liking the deadlift. <laughs> well, I, I like I like the skill of the bench, um, especially in the shirt. Um, a raw bench is a little, bit, a little more boring. Um, 
squat. Sometimes just having that weight on your back, especially equipped, just you, you kind of dread it a little bit. So yeah. I, I mean, I, I do it for all. So a lot of times that feels better. Yeah. Do you think you have the world record for a weight differential between a male and his girlfriend? <sighs> I think we're in contention. <laughs> yeah, 190 keys and 52. That's pretty good. Um, we'll do one more, and it's from a, a listener because we uh, actually put a Q&A up, and uh, it's a kind of serious question, which sucks. But um, what would you change? What's one thing you would change at the national level in USAPL? One anything. thing I would change? Yeah, anything. Um, would you change would, anything? Yeah. I, I, one thing I would do is start running all the meets together. Um, I would do raw, uh, I'm sorry, high schools and collegiates, back-to-back weekends, the same location. I would do raw and um, equipped over like a two-week span as well. So you limit it down to like maybe two two-week national meets that's that's what i would do i think it, it makes more sense uh from the production side it's the hardest thing to do is set up a meet get stuff to the meet break down the meat get stuff back home from the meat um so i would merge a lot of these things to make it easier on production because we could have bigger productions yeah. for more of the meats sure yeah I mean, getting into the Q&A, so we put out a Q&A this week for our listeners to ask some questions, so we appreciate the people that uh, asked us some questions. Um, I didn't see any names, so I, I'd like to give you guys credit, so next time, uh, put your name or I'll add something to the form about your name. But we got a question, um, how often should you buy gear? So what do you think, Joe? Um, yeah, then Mike, we're just going to let you hang around and yeah, just be on the pod for now, right. but your, your segment is pretty much over. You did a great job, but you can chime in. Um, but as far as this question, it's a good question. I pretty much get a new set of gear every year. So if I do two or three meets a year, I could use a set of gear in the training cycle and in a meet two to three, two to three competitions, which is a lot of wares. Um, cause I train in it a decent amount. Um, but the key is that I take in all my gear, um, as I use it. So as I stretch it out, I alter it and, um, you know, I, and I never get rid of, so when I buy gear, I don't get rid of gear. I save all these backup suits and shirts and I use them in my training cycle too, to keep gear fresher and fresher. And so I, you just build up this rotation, but I think once a year is the max. I honestly, I went a couple years. If I did two meets a year and you know, over two years, I didn't have to buy gear for two years. So. Yeah. And if you've only been lifting equipped for a short period of time, you probably won't need to new gear for a while if you've got the right yeah. stuff that fits you. I mean, for me, um, I actually like to build comfortability, especially my bench shirt. Um, so I keep my bench shirts for a pretty long period of time, I'd say about three years. Um, but the squat suit's a little bit different because once that stretches out, it's not going to provide you the same kind of support, the same kind of feel. So I actually um, get the squat suits a little bit more frequently. But with the bench shirt, I, I think that it's perfectly acceptable to hold on to those for a little bit longer. Yeah, what do you think, Mike? I think when you have your old reliable gear, you, you don't touch it. Um, but every gear, even the stock size stuff, is different, slightly different because it's all handmade. Um, so the more gear you get, the the better chance you get that one in a million fit for you. Um, but I think along with Joe's, like if you're lifting two, three times a year, you know, you're probably looking to get a new set every year, maybe two, depending on how competitive you are. Good answer. Um, we got a couple other questions we wanted to ask. Um, so this one, who would you rather fight? One Ray Williams sized Charles Acapulco or 100 Acapulco sized Ray Williamses? <laughs> so it, I'll answer first, but I, I have to go with the one Ray Williams size Charles, right? Cause I mean like I'm going to get my ass beat probably. Either way, but like that's a lot less to handle. One thing to focus on. I mean, a uh, hundred Acapulco size Ray Williams. That's like a super powerful being, and then there's yeah. like a hundred of them. That's like a running back. Yeah. So yeah, I'm fighting. Yeah, that's that's too much. Like I take my chances with Thor. You know, I take my chances with the big Acapulco. But if it was Acapulco, it was actually Charles. Like in Ray Williams' body, like yeah. he wouldn't fight me. 
He wouldn't. Well, he it's loves basically me. like a Kevin Oak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would probably have to go with the hundred Acapulco size Ray Williams on this on the stipulation that I would have to fight them one at a time. Oh yeah. Okay. So a Charles size, uh, a Ray size Charles would just put a fucking beating on you. <laughs> but if you could fight a hundred. Charles size rays. I think there's a chance that you don't get fucking. Yeah, and the question asked after the first one. Yeah, well, you know, the question's funny, but it's like it's not well composed because like either way, you're fucking doomed. Yeah, you're fucked. You're doomed. Yeah, I would. I would go with the one. Yeah, yeah. Mike, I'm assuming you would go with the one. Yeah, whatever's quicker. (laughs) 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 Whatever gets you to to the pearly gates quicker. So this is yeah. This next question, um, it's, it's more oriented toward younger lifters, and it's um, it's about finances. So, do you think younger lifters should prioritize their finances over traveling for competitions? And I think that basically means does that mean not going to competitions if they can't really afford it, or if they're really tight on finances? Um, and my opinion is, you know, it really depends on the meet, depends on how how much you want it how passionate you are um and there's ways to there's ways to stretch a dollar and there's ways to um i I guess scrape some scrape some money together gofundmes friends crashing with friends that sort of thing we know some lifters that sometimes are tight but they always make it i mean i'm still crashing with lou i'm crashing doing ipf meets (laughs) so i mean my opinion on that is like and and i went through it you know when i was 23 and i did my first ipf meet and then all the way through my mid and early mid to late 20s um i spent a lot of my money traveling to national international events and like they weren't the smartest decisions like i i really stretched some things thin to make these things possible you know and back then there was no now there is if you're really competitive you're getting a decent amount of money back through the usapl stipend that didn't exist until three years ago um, so a lot of lifters are paying their own ways. Um, some of our best lifters are getting paid to go. They're making money. So it really depends. But, you know, it, in a situation like I was in where I was spending most of all of my own money um, and I didn't really believe in the GoFundMe thing, I was gainfully employed and I wanted to make it work on my own, you know, um, I wouldn't change anything because you're making lifetime memories. You're only competitive and powerlifting for a very short period of time. The career I'm in is going to be there for a long time. Um, you know, and if you hustle hard in your career and other things, you could kind of make up for it. You know, maybe if you're not in a situation where you're employed and stuff, you have to think about those things, but you know, I just made everything work. And like, why would you waste the shelf life of your powerlifting career? If you're decently competitive, and not go to these meets, I think. Yeah, always the financial answer is like doing something versus not doing something. It's always better to take that dollar and invest it if that's the option. Whether it's through a retirement account or stocks or whatever, or a business. But there there has to be some balance and you know, it can't all be about finances. So Yeah, I think you made a good point about like if you're decently competitive and it also depends on the meet. It depends on how much it's going to cost to get there. So it's well, all, it's all a yeah. kind of it's theoretically all a, a balance. But I mean, like for me, even though I'm not like young and I'm not like broke on my ass, if I qualify for raw nationals and I'm going to be like just qualifying in place like 50th, like why would I spend my money to go there unless, you know, I, I can afford it and I really, really want to do it and it's going to be that fun and that worth it. I'm probably not going to. Yeah, so you know, if you're, like yeah. you're going to place top five and you love it and you can find a way, then I'd say do it. You're not going to regret it, I don't think. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing for me is if you're competitive in powerlifting and it's a passion of yours and you have a chance to do an international meet, especially if this is the first time you're ever invited, you just go and do it. And as long as there's not going to be any serious, serious financial um you know, downsides to that. Yeah, if you're not going to get kicked, if out you're of not going to get yeah kicked <laughs> out of your apartment or fired from your job or something like really bad, you just make it work because yeah. like, you know, I got invited to bench worlds and I believe it was 2015. And when I got that invite, I was like, I'm doing this fucking meet because I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do another yeah. world championship again. And it, the life experience is, 
it's it means more than the money to me. So, um, you know, I ended up going, and uh, I don't know when I'm going to do another world meet uh, or when I'm going to qualify. <laughs> so I'm glad that I did it. Yeah. So sorry, Kang. We're irresponsible. I know we uh, didn't provide a column for what your name is, but I know you asked the question. You little yeah. shithead. <laughs> we love you, Kang. All right. There's a bunch of other questions, but I think that's all we're going to have time for this week. Um, Big Mike, thanks for being on the pod. Do you have any closing yeah. remarks or statements? Um, I, I, I don't. I have one, one response to that last question. If you if you passionate about powerlifting, go to me. Um, you, you'll learn more. If you be around other people, you learn a lot. Um, so, but other than that, thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be your first guest. Um, I've been listening every week while I'm doing my cardio. Yeah, you're going to have to listen to yourself this week, but, uh, we'll get you something good next week. Uh, I'll try some new podcasts this week instead of <laughs> listening to yours. Any recommendations? Uh, Boston Strongcast. I'm on it. Have you ever heard of that? <sighs> What's that? <laughs> is, that, is, that, is, that, is that like your recount of the marathon bombing? bombing? No, no. <laughs> it's uh, Kevin Can's podcast. Uh, we talked about training. Oh. It's obviously not as funny or cool as our podcast, but it, it's pretty good. I had a really long conversation with him, so you can listen to that instead if you like listening to me talk for like an hour. Oh, yeah. Instead of listening might, to yourself, I have to check it out. Well, you know, if Kevin's listening, maybe he should invite Mike on there because if something's going to be called Boston Strongcast, you got to start inviting the uh, strongest people in Boston and Mike Mike's even though you're in New Mexico right now, we know you'll be back. So yeah. Recommendation. Nice. All right, Mike. Thanks Mike. Thanks, Thanks for everybody. coming Mike. Thanks for everybody for listening. Yeah. We do appreciate when you comment, you, uh, if you like, you share, we, uh, we do see it and we do appreciate it and we'll see you next week. Later. Later. <laughs>